The following podcast is scheduled for one fall. One fall! It's almost time for a new chapter of Geek Catch-Up to start. But before it does, Chris and I wanted to take a moment to send our love and appreciation out to all of you for choosing to hang out with us. If you enjoy Geek Catch-Up, then make sure to slam that subscribe button and help us level up the show by leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find us on social media to get updates on all things GK, interact directly with us, and content from the world of geekery. Geek Catch-Up Podcast on Facebook and YouTube, at Geek Catch-Up Pod on Instagram and Twitter, links to all of which can be found in the show notes below and on our website, geekcatchuppodcast.com. If you'd like to support the shoe, there's even links to our Square Shop where you can find official GK merchandise like shirts and stickers. And Patreon if extra content is your thing. Above all, though, the absolute best thing you can do is spread the love for the world of geekery by sharing the Geek Catch-Up podcast with your friends and family. Now get ready to enjoy today's show, and as always, remember to to stay stay saucy. saucy. If it's nerdy, we're into it. Gaming, movies, television, wrestling, comics, whatever. We are Kyle Eckert and Chris Hack, two lifelong friends with a passion for the world of geekery. And this is the Geek Catch-Up Podcast. Welcome back, Geek Catch-Up family. I'm Chris Hack. And I'm Kyle Eckerd. Season 3 continues on, and today we are back with Chapter 44. For this one, we are going to be trying out a new topic that Kyle and I are excited about, where we dive into particular pieces of pop culture that had large impacts on our development into the geeks we are today. For Kyle and I, one of those things is the 1991 movie Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, and we'll be getting into that in just a little bit. Before we do, though, we want to take a few moments to catch up on some of the fun things that we've been geeking out on lately. So Kyle, you've had a whole bunch going on over the last few weeks, but what has had you really geeking out? It's true, it's true, between the bees in the wall in my house and new video games and new everything, but the latest addition to the house after many years of asking for one, our family has finally brought a dog into our house. We brought little Zeus, and I say little He is not little at all. He is a 95-pound Rottweiler, six years old, but we did, in fact, get a dog at my house, and his name is Zeus, and he is just amazing. He looks like a cuddly bear. He is. That is exactly what he is. Uh, We we adopted him in his adoption papers. They said he is less god of the sky, more giant marshmallow, and that could not be more (laughs) true. He's just a big old cuddly bug. Like, of course, he he is a Rottweiler. He's six years old. He's got some height and some weight to him. And he looks intimidating because, naturally, Rottweilers, you know, they they have that firm face. And so he looks a little intimidating. But as soon as you you offer him up a treat or go to give him some pets, he's he's just a big old cuddle buggy. He'll lean right into you and just wants to be around you and have him pat his head. So it's, it's very, very exciting for us. I said, Taylor has been wanting a dog for a long time. I've been wanting a dog for a long time. But between renting and being in places that don't allow dogs, and then, of course, we moved into the new home. We wanted to get established here right. before introducing any anything new to the house. But we'd, we've been here a year, 
And we found him at a shelter in D.C., seemed like a good fit, and brought him home. He's been, At this point, at recording, he's, he's been here for a little over two weeks. Nice, yeah. They keep you on your toes. They kind of make you adjust your schedule. You know, there's a little bit that has to change with them. But all in all, they're always a good addition. You know, we're big dog folks, so I'm, I was happy to see that we've got another dog joining the Geek Ketchup family. Indeed, indeed. And I can certainly say the schedule has changed a little bit. And we prepped some of that because over the past like year, we've dog sat a few folks like dogs and had them stay here. So you, you find like, all right, what would the rhythm be like, you know, waking up because you got to wake up early, got to feed them, you got to do all that good stuff. And we felt comfortable that we were ready, ready for that. And I'm still teleworking to some extent with my job so we we're like okay well, there's some opportunity there to have him transition into the home sure but yeah it's great just having him around and he likes they like say he likes to come up to you lean on you a little bit and just just get pats and just be real nice with you is he a lap dog or does he think he's a lap dog he, a little bit to some extent like he he doesn't realize his full weight and size when he's leaning on you when he wants those pets <laughs> like but he doesn't jump up into your lap or anything like that. He doesn't uh, He doesn't try to do that. But when you go to start petting him and he starts leaning on you, or if, like, you sit down on the ground and you kind of, like, get in his face and yeah. pet him a little bit and just maybe play, I don't think he realizes his size and he'll, like, barrel you over. Yeah. <laughs> See, Link is 95 to 100 pounds, but he thinks he's 12 and <laughs> he will try and lay on you no matter where you are, so. Oh, Yeah. No, he doesn't quite do that. Like, and well, even if Zeus did do that, it would be so much weight because he's very top heavy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the shelter said that he's a mix. We don't see much mix in him. He's almost pure Rottweiler. But he's got like this, if he were a mix, he's got this like big barrel chest that is very Rottweiler. And then his hips are kind of thinner. So there maybe there's a touch of lab there, but we're not 100% sure. sure. Like coloring and... skips leg day. Yeah, yeah, and he skips legs. That's the joke. <laughs> that was like the joke the first week we brought him home. He's just a bodybuilder that skips leg day. He's <laughs> he's all chest and shoulders and head. Yeah. And then he's got this teeny little waist. <laughs> but he's been a lot of fun. He certainly terrorized the rabbits in our backyard that were living there. And he's he's just been... It's just a nice addition to the home when you come home from work and he gives you the tail wiggles and just excited to see you that something about a dog or an animal in the home in general, because cats, you know, people feel this way about cats or whatever their pets are. They they give you just this nice little shot of adrenaline when, when you come home from work, well, especially when you need it. Yeah. Well, and it just changes the dynamic, too, because you get used to living with somebody else like significant other or whatever. So when they're gone on a trip or just whatever it may be, you know, coming back and still having your buddy, yeah. uh, you know, having the animals is, is, it just changes everything. For sure. For sure. And he certainly got me out and walking because, you know, we're, we're walking <laughs> every day now and not to say I wasn't working out, but now it's like a committed and sure. I'm not just, you yeah. know, he, he's a workout buddy, you know, yep, he's, he's yep. keeping me committed to the plan. So it's pretty cool. And <laughs> we we are very happy to have him here. It's exciting. And, and we're only two weeks in, so I'm sure I'll have future dog stories where maybe something gets broken or chewed because that just comes with the territory. Yeah, especially with the biggins. Oh, yeah, the slobber. And <laughs> like, that that actually right there has been the funniest change for me is like... 
stepping in something wet oh yeah around the house it just is now commonplace because you like in the kitchen where his food bowls are like you, he's got big jaws and when he drinks water he slops a little bit and he yep. drools a little bit yep. so you no longer like before you'd step in something wet and be like all right who spilt something yeah and now you step in something wet and you're like mm, it's just dog drool <laughs> And now you understand why in my house full of hardwood floors, we have little rugs everywhere, (laughs) everywhere. (laughs) Get tired of like coming out and just hitting, hitting a pool of slobber and like almost tearing an ACL. Right. Because you're just sliding across the wood. (laughs) (laughs) Like a banana peel. Just. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That is a good idea that we've like, we're going to make some changes to the layout of our kitchen and like putting things down, we, we've gotten by like because he came home so quickly. By the time we put in the adoption papers to bring him home was only seven days. It was wild how fast it happened. Yeah. Uh, just the nature of of shelters right now. Animal shelters are looking for homes. And so we, we got him home. And so we had we went out. We had like an emergency night and went out like, let's buy everything we need. And you got to get the bowls. You got to get the food. You got to get this. You got to get that. Like. And some things were like, all right, well, we can hold off and maybe just throw down a towel for now. But some more permanent mats are certainly coming in our future. Yeah. Well, some stuff you just don't know until you get the actual animal. They're all so different. So, yeah, some of it's just got to be reactionary once you learn all the quirks and nuances about the specific dogs. So, yeah, like toys and stuff. I think he chewed up a baseball. (laughs) <laughs> on the, on his first like day i was like oh he likes to chew on the baseball that's fine until we can get him a permanent toy and then four hours later that baseball was gone i was like all right let's go get him a rough and tough toy <laughs> yeah it is crazy yeah that that has been the big news in my house there's a few other things i'm sure that are going on but i want to pass it back over to you and find out what you've been up to lately yeah the biggest thing that i've been geeking on has been tales of arise Okay, yeah. And to me, it's been like surprise game of the year. Nice. So it came out just a couple of weeks ago on Xbox and PlayStation and everything. And honestly, I'm not real sure how the Tales series has like escaped my purview mm-hmm. over all the years. Because <laughs> it goes back to, I think, the 16-bit or maybe even 8-bit age. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, it's been around for a long time from what I've read now. But it just wasn't really... Something that I was familiar with, you know, maybe I had seen one here or there, didn't catch that it was like all like a Tales of series, you know, or whatever it may be. But yeah, came across the demo for Tales of Arise in the Xbox store a couple couple months back, just randomly. And I was like, okay, JRPG looked like it had some good graphics. So I downloaded it, played it, and just loved the combat. Nice. And so... Didn't really read anything leading up to game release. Didn't watch anything. I kind of went in blind, you know, like old school back in the day where you just have to like oh, yeah. see a magazine picture and be like, that game was cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but I went in blind with it and I just, I am I am really, really enjoying it. You know, the story and the styling has been really good. It, it gives me really strong vibes of back in the day playing a final fantasy or some of those other random rpgs that we would get not knowing a whole lot about what they were going to be like yeah but strong story good characters the game seems well built very large world 
I mean, I can't praise it enough. You know, good mechanics for the leveling up system, the crafting system, cooking, fishing. Yeah. You know, you've kind of got everything in there. And it's a JRPG. Okay. So you get some of those types of stylings that you get with those. And it's got instance combat. Yeah. But what is really cool is it's not turn-based. It's live action. So it's got okay. a little bit of that like Kingdom Hearts, Final Fantasy fifteen feel. Yeah. But it, you're going into these instances that you can kind of choose in a lot of, you know, situations whether or not you're going to fight because you can see the enemies on the world. Yeah. And you have to touch them. To touch them. And then it takes you into the turn base? No, 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 no. No, it takes you into a live action combat. It just takes oh, you live, into but it, an instance. Like, oh, it takes you into an instance. So yeah. it's like, well, and in this case, it is, it turns into a turn base, but like Paper Mario. Kind of. Where you have to like touch a Goomba yeah, and then that yeah, takes yeah, yeah. you into a battle. But if you want to just hop over that Goomba and avoid it, you can. Yeah. And there's definitely certain enemies because it's just meant to be like you can't escape, you know, avoid them if you want to sure. progress. But especially once you've kind of gone through an area or you're just exploring, like there definitely are, you can kind of choose how much you want to fight. Yeah. So it has that feel of the JRPG, you know, from that standpoint. That's cool. All in all, I mean, the combat is fantastic. Lots of combos that you use to fight versus, I mean, it's a little button mashy, but also not because you do have to kind of time it a little bit to get the combos to flow. Sure, sure. I've got six characters on my team right now. I think maybe it goes up to eight, but I'm only about 70, 80% through the game. And that's kind of cool because you kind of choose your core team of four okay but you actually have access to everybody pretty much all the time and so you can bounce between them you know you can have your main character and then swap to other characters and you are playing them you know 100 percent. oh nice and, yeah and doing everything um the ai will play them if you're not on them essentially so it's got that like okay marvel ultimate alliance type deal yeah yeah it's actually sounds a lot like secret of mana Secret of Mana, yeah. Yeah, that's how Secret of Mana played. I don't think you could bop from character to character, but you certainly, it was like more, it was a JRPG in like look and feel, but it was live action battling. And, right. Uh, you can command your other your other teammates. Right, exactly. And so you can do some of that here, but if you want to, you know, full on switch it up from you know, Alfin, who's got the sword, over to Law, who's like martial arts, hand-to-hand combat, or, nice. you know, Xion, who's got the gun. Yeah. You can really bounce around, which is cool. And then there's these, like, super attacks that kind of, like, combo attacks that you can, you know, team up once you charge a meter and really unleash some big devastation down on the enemies. So nice. it, it really has been very fun from that standpoint, too, and it's, like, real buttery smooth. Oh, you know, yeah. Like just going from one thing to the other and the animations and you know the increased hardware on the new consoles and stuff being able to handle a lot going on on the screens has all been top notch that's really cool and i love the fact that you said that you didn't know much about it you just kind of based it off look of the cover you know game art because that that is something that in this day and age we've lost a little bit like you no longer go into a blockbuster or something like that, and just look at the wall right, of yeah. video game covers and pick a random one because you like the art, you know, and know nothing about it, and you get it home, and that's how you experience it. Right? Like we we've totally lost that with gameplay demos and 
you know, the advancement of the internet, really, yeah. and just ex- exposure and leaks and things like that. But to hear that kind of almost a bit of nostalgia to choosing a random game based off name and cover art and then still thoroughly enjoying it is so cool to me. Yeah, it's pretty much how it's been. And, you know, just to be fair, I do have two small negatives that that have happened, but they've been pretty minor. The first is essentially, for whatever reason, the story early on just feels this need to just repetitively tell you, like, the main plot. Yeah. And it's, like, very apparent. So, you know, after the first, like, ten times it did that, you're kind of like, I get it, you know? Like, (laughs) there's this group of people, they've enslaved this group of people, now there's a, you know, it's like, you get it. Yeah, you get it, yeah. (laughs) And so it goes, it goes really a little overboard there in that first, you know, maybe like 20% of the game. And then once it opened up, it seemed to get away from that. Once you had more characters and dialogue opportunities. Yeah. Like every NPC is telling you the same thing over and over and over. Yeah. It kind of was that way. And I was just like, man, I was like, they must just feel like I am not getting it here. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was a little annoying, but it kind of ironed itself out as you made it, made it through a little further into the game. And then I have had, I'm playing on Xbox uh, series X and I have had maybe three to four game freezes. Typically, mm. when I'm going like to load into a new area or fast travel, and that's been about it. Like no bugs, no hitching, no glitching, you know, n- nothing like that. It's just been occasionally I had a few moments where it would like get locked on the load screen, yeah, and I'd have to shut it down and restart. So nothing overly impactful, but I do highly suggest you know if anybody goes out and gets this game, plays this game, which I highly recommend. Um, I just suggest, you know, saving early and often. Yeah. So that way you can always just go right back to pretty much where you were before you try to do that fast travel or something like that. So For sure. And you can save whenever you whenever yeah, you want, right? Save yeah, whenever you want. Yeah, that's nice then. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like the classic JRPG where you come <laughs> up on a save spot and you're like, all right, what is coming my way? Because save yeah. spots usually mean doom on the other side of that wall. And how many hours am I going to have to play before I find the next save spot? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, I've lost a many a Mario RPG, like, save files that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's sweet, though. That That's pretty awesome. I Yeah, I can't get over just... Because I remember when you, you picked up this game, like, we hadn't talked about it at all. Mm-mm. So it, it's fantastic to hear that a random purchase just kind of on a whim has been so good. Yeah, it definitely has me wanting to go back and take a look at some of the older Tales games because if they're all in this same level of, you know, quality, sure. that same ballpark, right, then I think that I could find probably a number of them that I would enjoy, you know, all the way back to the retro area. Yeah. So I, I, I might do that here. You know, that might be kind of my new thing as I <laughs> have those down moments in between games, right? Yeah. But I'm trying to wrap it up here because, you know, now that we've hit October, it's like we've got a number of games coming out over the next couple of months. So oh, yeah. trying to get it completely done so I can turn my attention to some of the others that are coming. It is. It's gonna. It's a hot and heavy quarter three into quarter four as far as AAA video gaming goes. Finally. You know? Yeah, finally. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of been our big complaint about the next gen era is there just haven't been release after release. It's just been like peppered, you know. Got right. Maybe Astros up front and Ratchet and Clank was cool. Death Loop sounded like good, but 
now we're about to get a string of like i want three games that crush me back to back <laughs> oh, to back like exactly that's what i'm looking for well anything else you want to highlight here before we jump into our main topic well, I'll talk about it real briefly because I've only put about five or six hours into it, but I have been playing Kena Bridge of Spirits, and it has been an absolute beautiful game to play. Just the graphic work is remarkable, a lot like Ratchet and Clank. It's got an animated feel, so it's not going for a realistic look. Like it, It's meant to look slightly cartoony. It looked like a Pixar, like a Toy Story type, you know, like what you get in those high-end animated films right now. Oh, yeah. And I will say that is exactly what it plays, feels like, and the story that it tells. Like, And that that's really how I described it the other night when I was playing it. I was like, this is kind of like playing a Pixar movie to some extent with the story that it's telling. Very cool. Because you're Kina and she's a spirit guide. And I, I get this vibe that you're, you're helping spirits that have died but have not been able to move on into the afterlife so you help them progress uh some of that is to be totally cleared up there's a little bit of mystery to it as far as if that's exactly what's happening okay like everything they've shown me so far is like okay yeah that's what's happening but they haven't blatantly said like that's the job of a spirit guide just yet uh but all around combat's been a lot of fun and i think it's it's had a few puzzles and the combat instances have been pretty cool as far as like the bosses and there's a little bit of a challenge to it. So it's not quite like souls level difficulty, but like you definitely have to fight a boss maybe once or twice, figure out the timing and yeah. the right spots because you have a bow and arrow, you have a staff, but you have limited arrows. So you really have to like balance and if I'm going to expend my five arrows, I have to make sure that I, I hit my target because if you don't hit your target, then you have to go through a whole string of like, all right, dodges and dips and blocks before you get an opportunity to hit that target again. Oh, they like recharge. Yeah, they like, yeah, the arrows recharge, but you'll be fighting like big tree monsters and they'll have these like little yellow sacks on them mm. and you got to line up your shots and you got to make sure that you hit them critical areas or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. It's not, like I said, it, it's, there's some challenge to it, but it's not overwhelming, but there have been a boss or two where I've died like two or three times before I've really gotten the rhythms down. So all in all, like it, it was well-priced. It was $40. I know that when IGN did the review, they said it was about nine hours, so yeah. me having put in somewhere to four to six hours in it already, maybe I'm about halfway through, but it feels like there might be some replayability if I bump up the difficulty and come into these boss battles a little differently, but the little companion mechanic is cool. You can ask them to like pick things up and move things around, and that helps with the puzzles. So at a $40 price tag, and, and I'm sure it will go on sale, and maybe come down to like 30 or 20, I would totally recommend anybody scoop it and have a fun weekend or, you know, get, get two or three weekends out of it, depending on how much time you have to game. Yeah, I was considering it, but I, like I said, I already picked up tails. And then when I saw the, the length of it, that's what it kind of pushed me back, even though everything was pretty positive, you know, about it from what I read. Yeah. So I kind of resigned it just given the timing and everything that it'd be more of either a, on sale purchase and during like a downtime or you know maybe it'll hit ps plus you know or something like that so 
Um, but glad to hear that it seems like your experience is kind of lining up with what the reviews were. Oh, yeah, and for sure. For, I was attracted to this game because it's third person. Like, I'm just addressed it in the past. I'm just not a big first person gamer. Right. Like, and so <laughs> Deathloop was out there and it looked exciting, but there was like, we just addressed, there's this lull in big games right now. And so when this one got released in the September time frame and the look was good, the combat seemed interesting and $40 price tag on a third person kind of action puzzler adventure type deal. I was, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this. I committed a long time ago to doing it. And it is not disappointed at all. Well, I think the other thing to call out there is I forget the name of the company that made it, but I believe it's their very first like real game. And so even though it is on the shorter side, you know, it seemed like they really kind of proved that they can do the animation, they can do combat, you know, almost like a prologue to maybe another game that they'll come out that might be more of that full, you know, 40 hour, whatever type AAA experience, but it seemed like a good breakthrough for them. So, oh yeah, yeah. And the, the developer publisher was Ember Lab. Ember Lab. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. So it, it's very exciting. I mean, they've definitely piqued my interest to see what's going to happen moving forward this game being so short i could very much see it becoming like a a series of some kind there you go yeah like and 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 it's done enough so far that i've enjoyed it and i would certainly probably pick up a dlc if something came out very cool well as always we hope that you've enjoyed hearing a little bit about what we've been up to lately between video games and new pups life certainly has a way of keeping it entertaining We'll take a quick break for a small shameless plug and then dive into some reptilian ninja action. Hey, fellow geeks, did you know that the Geek Catch Up Podcast has a merchandise store? Go to geekcatchuppodcast.com and click merch in the menu to add official GK shirts, stickers, and more to your inventory. Stay saucy, you nerds. And we're back. And let's dive into the meat and potatoes of this chapter. And that is, of course, we all have these. These moments in our lives that impact who we are, our personality, our interests, and in some cases, how we see the world. These moments can be big or small. And Chris and I wanted to start exploring those moments that shaped our love of geekery. They could be movies, video games, wrestling matches, albums, television shows, all of the above. So we're trying something new and doing deep dives into our geek-defining moments. To kick it off, we started with a movie that both of us grew up watching over and over and over. That movie is none other than Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. We'll dive into the movie itself, the first time we saw it, and how it impacted us, as well as what we think of it now. Maybe it's an annual rewatch for one of us, and maybe we're still quoting it constantly. We're not saying this is one of our favorite movies of all time, but it is hard to deny how important it was to us as kids. So let's get into it. TMNT 2 The Secret of the Ooze came out in March of 1991 as a direct follow-up to the 1990 record-breaking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The sequel had a much more comedic feel to it, but at its core, it was still a martial arts-based action flick. Directed by Michael Pressman and produced and distributed by New Line Cinema and 20th Century Fox. Of course, the movie was based around the comic book IP created by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Following the adventures of the four enhanced turtles, Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, and Raphael, along with their father slash master, Master Splinter, and friend April O'Neil. 
this movie introduced a new character in the fighting pizza guy, Kino, as well. So, Chris, before we dive into our personal connection to the movie, I thought it'd be cool to highlight a few fun facts around the film that just kind of shape the story and a few other things that are going on. So the first one I have here is because of the success, the massive record-breaking success of the first Turtles movie, which at the time was the highest grossing independent film ever, they knew that they were going to make a sequel. And the budget for the sequel was crazy because it was $25 million. Wow. Double the original independent film. Yeah, that's a lot. New Line at the time was a pretty small company. I mean, they were making movies, but it wasn't a Warner Brothers or MGM. Oh, yeah, about for some sure. Of the other companies yeah. at the time that were like massive, massive. So that is a pretty big budget for 1990, 1991. Yeah, that, that is so huge. And I they just wanted to, to pump like more money into this IP because it, it was arguably the height of turtles fandom yeah like in, in 1990 they sold in 1990 they sold 100 million toy units wow yeah so they were trying to capitalize on the teenage mutant ninja turtles franchise as much as they could and i had a bunch of them yeah oh yeah <laughs> i had i had a bunch of them as well like and that is just everything they they were totally capitalizing on the tmt franchise as far as toys and merchandise anything they could possibly do tmnt they were like we we want to do it so the the movie followed suit we're like this is going to be a hit we're going to make buku's a bucks off of it and in fact they they did it was still financially successful as a movie it was the 13th highest grossing film domestically that year wow but unfortunately like it, it didn't get the best critic reviews because of its comedic departure from the original movie and that has always kind of been the tale of two stories when it comes to tmnt like there's the comic book which is gritty and dark it's more noir like the first film was like very noir at times yeah yeah and then you get the animated series which are very comedic and lighthearted and meant for kids to pair with those toys right all of that totally lines up as far as like you could see a, a movie studio, an independent movie maker wants to do that gritty, dark version. And then once a larger studio finds out about it, they're like, well, yeah, but we need this to appeal to a wider audience so we can make more of that moolah. Well, and what's interesting about that, and I was thinking about this a little bit during the rewatch, you know, TM, TMNT was definitely geared in a lot of ways towards kids like overall right Mm -hmm. but to me like broadening the horizon was what they did with making the movies because i would thought that that would have almost been more about going after some of the non-child audiences you know so like teens maybe young adults and things like that to expand because if you look at the movies i mean they did a really good job of combining the real world and these crazy turtles and <laughs> splinter and just the absurdity that comes with it. Oh yeah. And it was something that movie companies really struggled with back then. It, you know, now you see Marvel and it's like the movies are made where like Iron Man's real and they're just in New York and stuff. It's just like a thing. Yeah. Very easy. But back then it really wasn't that way. And you know, you usually either got one or the other. So I think they really did a good job with that. Absolutely. Like it's either like, not hard sci-fi, but like hard sci-fi where graphics and CGI 
and it's totally unrealistic or like it's the departed which is you know everything is practical right exactly and here i mean like you really had this situation where they just took giant turtles i mean the puppetry is just amazing right oh yeah which helps jim henson yeah yeah yeah, jim henson Henson, you know muppets creator jim henson and his entire studio is involved in all of this so the the puppeteering is the best the best in the business exactly and so i mean you really watch it and it really feels like they're just there in the real world i'm sure as a kid i probably thought that turtles were real (laughs) walking around new york city because you watch the movies and i mean they just that's how it appears you know that's the quality they did oh yeah that early on you know 30 years ago 30 years yeah 30 years to the not necessarily to the day but to the year it's kind of wild what they accomplished uh and along the same lines you know of trying to find that wider appeal uh, they definitely retooled the second movie and actually got away from using the weapons that each of the turtles use and it's it's interesting to kind of like research and find that out because i'm not sure i noticed that back in the day that in the first movie they totally use their weapons the swords the size the nunchucks and the bow staff and in the second movie it's actually mostly hand to hand yeah now that you i didn't even think about it as i was watching it but now that you say that you're very right and i'm thinking that really the only main weapon that you see at least once or more is donatello's staff mm-hmm. yeah so that's very interesting yeah because you you always kind of think well leonardo has swords why isn't he just lobbing people's arms off that's true and when they use them they use them in different ways like there was actually a moment where leo has the swords out but he stabs them into the roof yeah and then uses them as like an elevation to kick somebody so yeah i I didn't think about it from that until you just said that that's a really interesting little factoid yeah right yeah and well i'm thinking michelangelo the one time he actually uses nunchucks they're not nunchucks they're sausage links yeah they're sausage (laughs) links (laughs) but it, it it was a very you know weird switch that they did that and it went along with a couple other switches they had a few actor replacements from the first movie to the second movie i think the most notable one is april o'neill was obviously recast from Paige turco over to judith hogue or excuse me Paige turco took over for judith hogue and what's interesting there is judith actively got out of her contract she didn't want to come do the second movie which i i thought was yeah like or yeah bad move (laughs) bad move but they brought in a you know a couple new voice actors obviously they replaced donatello's voice actor which was Corey feldman in the first movie you know legendary 80s actor but he was going through some personal trouble at the time uh and so he was removed shredder himself was recast and so the the guy behind shredder was recast on a couple of those close-ups and then they debuted Kino, yeah, a lot of in a sense to replace Casey Jones, right? Yeah, and I've got to believe that that has everything to do with that weapons-based idea. It could be, yeah, because Casey was so focused, like he was so reliant on the hockey stick or the bat, you know, whatever he had at the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like so you had to make that switch because you can't have Casey Jones fighting without some sort of weaponry like he was never a hand-to-hand person like martial arts designed the way they were another fun fact about kino there himself the actor behind kino ernie reyes jr 
doubled as Donatello in the first movie. He was the guy in the suit. And the the producers liked him so much in the first movie that they found a way to get him into the second movie. Very cool. Very cool. All that is just very interesting. Like all these little dynamics to this this movie that uh, just meant so much to us and, and so much to pop culture as far as like really the TMNT like Zengeist and, and how popular they were at the time that that they'd make these grand sweeping changes and people would choose to leave the project. Right. Yeah. That that's always so surprising to me. You hear about several of these people that chose to leave the project for one reason or another. I'm like, but how could you do that looking at the toy sales? Yeah. I mean, but you got to think too, back at that point, there was definitely kind of like a stigma in Hollywood around these types of films. You know, I'm sure that there was a lot of folks that looked at them as, this is the end of my career or I'm not a serious actor, you know, whatever it may be just because of the content and how they were made and, you know, the styling of a lot of these films. I'm thinking about, you know, some of the others like the Batmans that came out post Michael Keaton and like spawn from the nineties, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I, maybe it was probably some of that. You never know, but I could see at least some people if they were trying to go do other things or, Whatever, like, eh, maybe Turtles isn't the best thing for my career, you know? <laughs> yeah, very true, very true. But in reality, it would have, like, made them icons in some ways, you know? Like, yeah. the Turtles are definitely the stars, but, you know, you always remember April and Kino and some of the... The, the guy who played Casey Jones went on to do a lot in Hollywood, you know, things yeah, like that. So. for sure. Yeah, why would you not try to take something that's going to propel you to multiple fans across multiple ages? But yeah, the only other character I feel like is worth calling out, just because I had never noticed this until my recent rewatch, was Cheese Pizza. And and most people are going to be like, well, what do you mean? Pizza and the turtles, right? You know, of course. But I, this was the first time I have ever noticed that the first, like, two to three minutes of this film, TMNT 2, is just every single person <laughs> in New York eating pizza. Eating pizza, Whether you're yeah. walking down the street, <laughs> sitting in a restaurant, the cops arresting guys, they're all eating pizza. Oh, like, yeah. I, I had never noticed that until this rewatch, that the first, there's like 2,000 slices of cheese pizza in the first two to three minutes of this uh, movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, the whole opening sequence is just New Yorkers. I, I thought that myself. I was like, man, they're just really <laughs> driving home that New York pizza is the pizza. Right. Uh, and it makes total sense, you know, but I I hadn't watched this film in probably 10 years. Yeah. And definitely not with, like, the full adult brain on, if that makes sense, you know. And so kind of looking at it more from just the, I guess, the more mature movie fan. I don't know. I don't want to sound like an asshole here, but you know what I mean? Like just the different, more mature brain, more experience, you know, critiquing movies, whatever it could be. Like I definitely noticed a few things on this rewatch that I don't think I'd ever paid attention to before. Yeah, for sure. Like you you pick up little side comments or things that, yeah, you you just get glossed over when you're a kid because you're so excited just for the turtles themselves and the action. And then, yeah, adult, you're right, adult brain, you look at it and you're like, well, that was cheeky. (laughs) (laughs) For sure, for sure. Well, this is a perfect little segue to get into this this personal connection that we've always had with this movie. And as we saw it growing up and how we saw it growing up. 
So I don't know if you wanted to talk about that the first time or maybe I don't know if you distinctly remember the first time that you saw this movie, but I'm certain that you have memories of watching this movie as a kid. Absolutely. I I don't think I could narrow it down to the specific moment when I watched it the first time. I mean, we were five, four or five when this movie came out. I don't think it was in theaters. That I, not that I could remember, but my yeah. my memories of this movie are way more around the big, thick, puffy, white VHS case <laughs> that yep. it came in. And it was one of the book styles that actually opened up, like, full protection for this cassette that's in there. Oh, you okay, know? <laughs> yeah. You had a different copy of the VHS than I did. Oh, yeah. See, we had the one. You know how they made the two different styles? There was yeah. the sleeve, but then there were, like, the real deal ones that came in, like, the bookcase. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. that's the one we had, but it was the white with the the whole movie logo on the front and everything. Yeah. See, and I had just the sleeve. Uh, so I had the same, the white, the you know, but it was just the VHS tape itself. Yeah. And then the little sleeve, all those book ones were, like, the Disney collection. Yeah, that was the style. My mom was kind of obsessed with Disney VHSs. I actually think at one point she had like every one that was out. Yeah. And so maybe that was what it was, was because they were, we actually had them on a bookshelf as an entertainment center. Yeah. And yep. so maybe, maybe that was it. Was she sprung for the extra to keep it consistent? Keep it so it didn't just stick out like a sore thumb. <laughs> but no, I totally agree. It is, it is the VH copy back in the day. And that that's the exact same memory I have, like just wearing out that D, that almost a DVD copy, that VHS copy, you know. Oh, yeah. Please rewind at the end. The whole deal. Be kind. Rewind. Right. Yep. Hit and play. Playing it back, you know, rewinding it, playing it back through for sure. It was probably my version, if not, I guess ours. And we could say of like frozen, like you hear the people tell the stories about how their kid just won't stop watching frozen. (laughs) Like I've heard my mom talk about how it was nonstop teenage mutant Ninja turtles for me at that time. For sure. For sure. And I'll take it one step further because I actually reached out to mom. Yeah. So shout out to mama heck out there. Um, And I asked her for some quotes. (laughs) So I'm getting her on the record here just to legitimize, you know, the impact that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had on my life back then. So uh, I'll run off a few of them here for you. First one was, I remember you were obsessed with them. (laughs) Yeah. I remember you having a birthday party and everything was the Turtles. I think that was your third birthday. So I think actually I was a Turtles fan prior to Secret of the U's coming out. Nice. Yeah. I remember you had the shirts, the underwear, the Turtles were on all of them, the bed sheets. I remember I had to fuss you many times over going up to people and doing some karate move or some shit like that around the house (laughs) on other people. (laughs) Some verbatim shit quote. like that. <laughs> verbatim quote. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you had every toy that I could get that was made about them. And the last one here is you would run around yelling cowabunga and jumping off the sofa. <laughs> damn right. You're damn right. That is amazing. Oh, shout out to Mama Heck. That is so good. That is so good. Oh, man. <laughs> 
Yeah, when we were putting this together, I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm going to go back. I was like, I know my mom remembers some of this stuff. So <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I know, I know I had the toys, and you mentioned the bed sheets. I definitely know I had the bed sheets on my little twin-size bed when I was a kid. Like, that was for sure. They were the white ones with the circle logo. Oh, I distinctly okay, yeah. remember those bed sheets and having, like, the, the Technodrome. That was one of the toys that I absolutely had was the Technodrome. And then for me... That would open up like Mad Max style? Yeah, yeah, on the inside. Yeah, yeah. And then the main turtle toy that I had was the one that you could switch. So it would be like a regular looking turtle. And then you could pop the shell up and then rotate the arms and the head to turn it into a ninja turtle. Nice, yeah. I, I definitely have always looked back on this era of the turtles as my favorite era of the turtles. Yeah. Some of the newer designs, like some of the animated cartoons and stuff, like they've been fine. But for me, that dark green, the rounded head, you know, just like this style that came from the movies and a lot of those action figures that were like, that is the Ninja Turtles to me. Yeah. But I'll have to go see if I can and get my mom to look for this. But I know that I was a Ninja Turtle at least once for Halloween. Yeah. When I was young. And it was like early 90s, like crappy Halloween costumes where it was like just like the strap on mat- paper mask. You the know, plastic so. face. I, it's, <laughs> all right. So I know and I'll have to dig as well because I also know that I was a Ninja Turtle like for Halloween. And, and I there's a picture and I know it exists. I can it's in my head right now that of me trick or treating in Myersville with all the neighbors and I am a Ninja Turtle and if I remember correctly, I'm dressed as Raphael, even though he's not my favorite turtle. But I also <laughs> might just be dressed as like when they were all just wore red before they had colors. Well, and you know, I'm sure it was so popular that like if you didn't get there quick, everybody wanted Michelangelo. I know as a kid, yeah, Michelangelo was number one. But yeah, I'm sure that it would be funny to go back and see which which ones we had. We should try and find those and, and put them out if we can on yeah. the social Absolutely, absolutely. I will say Michelangelo was not my favorite as a kid, though. My favorite as a kid was Donatello. Like, I've been a Donatello OG since day one. Yeah, that's good. The bow staff for the win. I can feel that. I know for sure that that Michelangelo was my favorite back in the day. Like, I I can remember that, you know, early memory. But as I grew older, Donatello became, I think that happens for a lot of people, because he's like that good blend. Leo and Mike, you know, he's kind of more of that blend, so... Yeah, he can be goofy. And th- this movie kind of highlights that a little bit, that he's serious at times. He's good at martial arts when he needs to be, but he, he has no problem goofing around with Michelangelo. That is showcased very well in this movie. Yeah. And of course, I mean, our our love of the video games going back to NES, SNES for the Turtles is well documented. You know, we don't oh, yeah. even have to get into that so much. But you know, I remember regularly watching the cartoon like as it came out, you know, local Fox station, whatever, in the afternoons. Oh, yeah. Fox Kids, man. Yeah. You know, it was definitely a big time thing at that point. And I really just thought I'd call out that this was like the perfect way to kick off this new chapter idea. Because when I think back, and and it wasn't just for this, like I, I think about it regularly, when I think back to some of the earliest memories that I have yeah, that, you know, from being 
four or five years old, you know, you'd really dig into the mind and get those foggy, hazy impressions <laughs> that are still out there, right? Sure. Ninja Turtles is is up there. Like, it's on oh, the yeah. short list of things that I, you know, remember the most. Yeah. You know, even more so than moments with family and things like that. So it, it might be the original IP that I ever geeked out on. Oh wow! Okay. Like I think it's I think it's in that territory from the timing, the age, and the whole nine yards. Like it might be my original fandom if I'm thinking, you know, back to it. I, it's like that, and I remember Ghostbusters. Yeah, and then maybe Power Rangers a little bit later. Power Rangers, yeah, Power Rangers is one that I think for me would compete because I remember watching the show and having like the basically and Ninja Turtles to some extent as well. Like you go and you buy the toy weapons. Yeah, <laughs> and you like run around the neighborhood and you just have like fake battles and fake like mm-hmm. ninja fights, and so one and the same there like. As a as a young kid, that's what I did. So that's how those memories got formed. And I'm I'm right there with you. Like I remember, like maybe trying to like kung fu kick my brother when he wasn't <laughs> looking. Like you said, your mom said you jumped off the couch and yelled cowabunga. Like I'm positive that I tried to jump off the couch and deliver a flying sidekick right, to, right. to him at a certain age. But that's that's too good. That's too good. Well, I'm thinking about when we were that young. I mean, we were the target audience, eh? Oh, yeah. For that. And then thinking about some of those other IPs, like Power Rangers. Like, I remember the, like, debut pilot episode premiere of Power Rangers. Okay. Like, not, like, definitively, but that first season of Power Rangers. That first season of Power Rangers, Like, we were there, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, that was us. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we were that target market. (laughs) We were that target market. Which, like, like, going back to the movie, that's, like, my fondest memories of that is, like, as a kid, I loved that action mixed with the comedy. And, I, you know, we said we never noticed the lack of weapons or anything like that. So we were that target audience and it absolutely sucked me right into that commercial hype that they were going for. Yeah. Who knows how much money we forced our parents to spend on Ninja Turtle related (laughs) paraphernalia and everything, you know? Yeah. Like (laughs) everything else. Yeah. Just apparel. Cause it was, it was top to bottom. It was shirts. Like you said, shirts, underwear, toys, bed sheets, like the works and yeah. really looking at how the turtles got released, they were pushing out variants. Like I'm going to talk about the original variant of a, of a specific like IP turtles nailed it because there was turtles in time. There was samurai turtles. There was star Trek turtles, right? Like they ran the gamut as far as the different like blending of IPs with the turtles. And I, I will say, it kind of had me thinking here, though, too, on the flip side of, like, how I've always loved the Turtles. Like, I've never turned my back on them, you know, if you put it that way, per se. Yeah. But as I did get older, I didn't stick with, like, the following. So, you know, for me, I've not read any of the comics, haven't followed the more recent shows regularly. I've played a couple of the games as they've come out. Yeah. But it did have me kind of thinking that, even though it's always been such a part of my life from that standpoint, like it's a fond nostalgic memory and and I still enjoy them. Yeah. It wasn't the same as some of the other IPs that I've picked up a little bit later in life and have carried a little bit closer with me, you know, through adulthood. So I was kind of like, you know, maybe I need to circle back and really kind of 
check out some more stuff, dive back into it a little bit, you know. Dive back into it. I can say in the comic book realm, uh, The Last Ronin is coming out right now, and it is phenomenal. But in the video game realm, there's that new TMNT Shredder's Revenge. Yes. That's set to come out in 2021, but I don't know when. And it, it's going to be a throwback to the, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 on NES and Turtles in Time and the Manhattan Project and all of those games that came out in the, that 90s era. And I we've talked about it like privately and then also in the, in the group chat. We're, that's a that's a day one for me. Oh. Take all my money. I don't yeah, care. take all I, my I'm money. on that one. Even yeah. if it is a Switch, that can be a side-scrolling Switch game that is nothing. I'll still pay $60. I don't I don't care. Yeah, you're right. Take all my money. Take all my money because there's nothing more than I want out of that. So we'll, we'll dip into having watched it now, I think. You know, we, we both recently did some rewatches of this movie. And I'll say first and foremost on my rewatch before we get away from the VHS version too far is I missed not having those trailers at the beginning of my rewatch. And I don't know if you remember the trailers at the beginning of the VHS tape. No, I don't know if I remember that. Was that a thing? It, oh, it was absolutely a thing. Like in the eighties and or the nineties into the two thousands, there used to be trailers for hmm. like either advertisings for like restaurants or other movies that were going to be coming to the theater soon. Like when, when you put the VHS tape in or mo- your memory probably serves when you put the DVD in and it starts and then you can hit like menu to skip it. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely remember those. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember commercials so much on the, on the VHSs, but now that you got my brain thinking, I'm almost like, well, when you're young, your parents are doing it for you, and so they're probably fast-forwarding directly to where it needs to be, or yeah. you learn, like, the exact place to cut off the rewind. And then, you know, later on, yeah, if it didn't become a thing, but then switch to DVDs, so that's that's crazy. Yeah, I, but I, I missed the trailers, and so and I bring this up because I remember the trailers so fondly. Whoa. And it is, and of course, I, I did I did some double checking to make sure that my memory served me correct. But I was like, man, I remember there being a trailer for a Hulk Hogan movie at the <laughs> beginning of the at the beginning of the VHS tape. And I went and I looked, and it was really so. The beginning trailers on the VHS were a Burger King Kids Club commercial. Okay, which I don't know if you remember that. It's the one where yeah. like the little boy steps up to the counter. And he orders, and then, like, the cartoon characters make the meal yes, for him. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, I do remember that. Yes, yes. And then there was a another trailer for a movie called Step Kids, which is just a run-of-the-mill 90s movie. We won't get into that one. But the big one was for the movie Suburban Commando with Hulk Hogan uh, and Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. That's a gem right there. That was like when he was doing like Thunder and Paradise and like some of those kinds of things, probably. Like oh, some yeah. Of those like kind of military. Yeah, that's funny. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it just <laughs> when I when I played it, like I said, I remembered these trailers. And then when I booted it up, I ended up watching it on Amazon, like Amazon Prime. And I was like, man, I miss these like silly trailers at the beginning of the movie. Like we got that opening sequence as they go around New York and eating pizza, like we said. But I'm like, man, I, I want those trailers there. <laughs> Like, just to give it the full experience. You know, that's funny, but kind of in the same vein, what actually kind of got me with a little bit of nostalgia was just 
the New Line Cinema music and logo coming in with like the do 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 do. Oh, dude! I, just you doing that now gave me chills. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like, is that? I mean, you'd see that stuff like every single time you'd watch something, and I don't even know if New Line's around anymore. Maybe, but. Oh yeah, yeah. I haven't seen. If they are, they've completely changed their intro. They probably got incorporated by somebody else because sure. I also noticed like the 20th Century Fox thing booted up and it said like an AOL Time Warner company. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Like exactly. I mean, that company still exists, but not that company. Yeah. But like even the little things like that were definitely just sucking me back 20, 30 years and, you know, just stuff that we used to see so much yeah, in yeah. the 90s that is just gone pretty much. Oh, yeah. And I said in up front in that opening title sequence, the music, the font, like the the orange block font that's popping up that you literally saw in every 90s movie like intro. It was all just out the gate, just boom, 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 hitting me in the feels. I was like, well, I'm a sucker for that 80s, 90s style movie intro where you get yeah. you get the same, you know, pan shot of the city that the movie's going to take place in. <laughs> yeah. And then you get that, you know, synth music going. Synth, yeah. Yeah. Like, that, I, that, that just, like, is movies to me. Yeah. Yeah, you got to get a skyline. I want numbers. I want statistics on how many movies that came out between 1985 and 1995 that opened with a skyline shot. Pretty much all of them. Yeah. Every movie had to open that way. Every movie. And even th- that whole opening sequence with Kino and Roy's Pizza, and he gets on the little moped, and he finds the guys, you know, robbing the store. It was very reminiscent of Tom Holland's Spider-Man when he sees the guys robbing the bank with the yeah. Avengers masks on. Yeah. Like, I kind of had those vibes, <laughs> and, he, and he goes in, and he tries to fight him. He gets overwhelmed, and the turtles show up. And when they show up, they get the big bounce jump and the logo hits. Oh, man, like, it's so good, so good. Like, it instantly took me back, and I instantly, like, fell back into being a six-year-old kid. Oh, yeah. Well, and the sound effects in the movie are are so good for that because I don't know if I'd say they're exactly from the arcade game, but they right. pretty much sound like they're from the arcade game. Yeah. And even though it's real live action fighting and things going on like to me i picked up on that was that the sound effects really felt like they just pulled them straight out of the games and you know merged them into this world so like even when kino's doing kicks or especially when the turtles come in yeah you know i i immediately it was another one like kind of like the pizza thing it was another one of those things as an adult that i picked on quickly yeah compared to as a kid where you're just not even paying attention or you don't understand you know it's like magic yeah oh yeah yeah and like shout out to the folly artists there that's just <laughs> going next level with you know how they do that back then well how they do it now and also how they did it back then we're w- watching the movie and making the sound effects with little whatever pieces yeah. equipment and material they can <laughs> but it, yeah it's, it's so true and that that opening combat scene in all of the combat scenes, like I, I really, really enjoyed them. And we, we've touched on it a few times already. Like the lack of weapons being used did not bother me. I thought maybe having like researched that and seen that, I thought, oh, well, I'm going to rewatch this movie and I'm going to start noticing that more. And it's going to bother me that, oh, why aren't they using their weapons? But it didn't. I still thought the combat and the fight scenes were well choreographed. 
and and just right on par. Well, I think the reason why that is is that if you think about pretty much every fight scene in this movie, there is like some zany kind of theme almost happening. So like yeah. in the opening one, they're in that store with like where Donatello, you know, replaces himself with the clown and they're yeah. using the different props around. And so they're always using items like that, uh, you know, to some extent. But the, in TGRI, when they're doing the football plays, yeah. you know, and they're calling out. So there's like almost always something to add to the combat. It's just not necessarily weapons, like traditional lethal weapons. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that is a good point, especially in the TGRI kind of scene where they're rolling around on the chair and they've they've got like oh the video games like where do you put the quarter like that right, whole yeah. environment is very goofy uh or like the junkyard just opens itself up to having all sorts of weird stuff like car doors and uh spare parts there's a lot of environment use oh yeah it's really really good environment use is a, is a great way to put that like they replace the weapons use with environmental type pieces or when they're on the roof or in the april's apartment when they're goofing around in april's apartment there's the mop and the buckets (laughs) and they're jumping over the couch like all sorts of stuff actually the one time you see raf uses sigh is to catch the piece of pizza that don or mike you know throw at him and he dives over the couch like an end zone uh touchdown catch but he catches it on the side that's like the only time you see it. yeah the only time i think the other time he's he has them in his hands but they're like knife side down oh yeah and, he and like, he's just kind of using them as like extra support like nah man go knife side up and like stab some <laughs> foot clan members like all up in it now it just it was still even the comedic pieces too it was still funny to me like i i really thought that some of that would get worn out and it, it just didn't like it hit all the right notes and I was like, man, I don't know if it's nostalgia or if this movie is somehow holding up, but you read a lot of the critics reviews of it and they like, they bash it for all of these reasons. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, no, that's why I still like this movie. Yeah. I mean, it might be some nostalgia that helps, but you know, and then if you really wanted to get crazy critical, then sure. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, but the, this is not the kind of movie that anybody really is trying to be overly critical about right because it just wasn't ever meant for that but yeah i think it absolutely held up i actually put down here that there was not a moment like i said i hadn't watched this movie in 10 plus years don as an adult you know the whole nine yards there was not a moment of watching this movie that had me disinterested or not entertained i was just like i was back in the i mean i watched it attentively you know <laughs> yeah from start to finish when i threw it on for this rewatch and I mean, it has action, comedy, drama, grounded effects, master puppetry, science fiction, coordinated dances. Coordinated dances. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's got it's got everything. It's like all these different genres, but they did kind of just capture lightning in a bottle or or whatever you want to call it, and it just worked really well. Oh yeah, well, in eighty eight minutes and a total runtime, like it doesn't slow down. And I think that really That's plays true. into it, that it just keeps moving from one plot point to the next. Like, there's no... And obviously, with the the puppeteering and the characters and the zaniness that is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you're not going to want these deep dialogue moments, which I think is what happened in the third movie and why the third movie is not remembered so fondly. Yeah. Is they started to get into that emotional stuff. But 
they they knew what they were doing. And that, that was my big takeaway when I rewatched it. I was like, look, this movie knew exactly what it wanted to be. And it went and it made itself into that. And I can't fault it. Like right. it, it didn't try to be it didn't try to be an award winning movie. And it wasn't going out for anything like that. It was like, nope, this is our audience. This is our target. This is what we're going to do. And it works. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think it's also because they just committed to the spirit of the Turtles. Yeah. Everything was built around the Turtles, whether it was New York City or the enemies. I mean, anything. It was all just built around the Turtles. And I thought that watching back through, like, that was one of the big things I came away with was that... To me, it stands up because the Turtles are a great IP and they didn't try to bastardize or change that spirit and the good stuff that they had built in the Turtles just to make it a movie so they could sell a bunch of tickets. Like To me, it stands up because it kept the focus on the Turtles and then everything else is you know, to the wayside because it's what you expect when you're reading or playing or watching turtles. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and to that point and to the characters, I I think we can't not mention Toka and Razar a little bit, like just as fun additions. I think, you know, one of the fun facts that I'll I'll draw back on is that, that Peter Laird uh, denied them the use of bebop and rocksteady. Oh, okay. And they specifically created Toka and Razar for the movie uh, because he he didn't want them to be used, so he straight up denied it and said, hmm, "Nope." I didn't know that. Yeah. Because in the end, uh, it's a, a little longer of a quote where he actually admits that he he didn't like Bebop and Rocksteady because he thought they were kind of like one note stupid characters. Ah, uh, okay. And uh, so, but they were so he just didn't like them because he felt like they just constantly had the same shtick in the animated series. <laughs> yeah. And so he, he was hoping that they would go in a different direction for the movie. But what's interesting to me is I don't think I ever picked up on the fact that Token and Razor weren't like Bebop and Rocksteady. Like I knew that they weren't obviously like you, you can't have a rhino and then suddenly it'd be like a snapping turtle sure. or like a wolf. But like, they just token Razor fit right into that universe for me. Oh yeah, I mean, and and there was definitely other villains like in the in the games that you could say like especially with Razor. Like I'm thinking about like the mechanical yeah turtle, you know, evil turtle that you fight. Like you know, there are some other villains that I mean, yeah. So it fit perfectly. Like I I wouldn't have ever thought any different, you know, since it just seemed like they were right in line with what you would expect the enemies for the turtles to be. Oh, for sure. And then the other small change, and I don't know if you picked up on this one, was the TGRI switched from TGRI from TCRI. Mm-mm. So in the comics, it's TCRI, the Techno Comic Research Institute. And in the movie, it's the Techno Global Research Global. Industries. And it was okay. like, and it like, but kind of along these same lines, like they took the core IP, tweaked some small things, and still made it work. And it's because TCRI. TCRI is like a extraterrestrial thing. And uh, so they, they didn't want to take them. Yeah, they grounded it a little bit, but still made it work. Yeah. They they made it work. They they made these small changes, but to your point, they kept the heart of what makes the turtles so interesting and so great to us all there. Yeah. Well, I think maybe one of the last things that we just absolutely have to call out is you have that just award winning scene. With Vanilla Ice. 
Oh yeah. Oh, the award winnings. That that is the greatest musical performance in any <laughs> movie ever. Fight me. Ninja. 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 Rap. Ninja. And the and the dance. Now, obviously, I'm kidding. It's not the best musical ever, but <laughs> that song is so catchy. Actually, I, I thought about this on the rewatch. I was like, I think Go Ninja Go is my favorite Vanilla Ice song. Oh, it's definitely up there. Yeah. Like, I know there's Ice Ice Baby. There's a couple others. There's two. But there's two. There's two. <laughs> yeah, it's a long list. There's two. But Go Ninja Ra- or Go Ninja Go over over Ice Ice Baby for me. Oh, yeah, dude. I love that song. I mean, you know, in high school, I could do the dance. Like, that was a thing. <laughs> it was a in thing. In our group of friends. I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. I don't know if I could do it anymore. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> Might throw your back out. Might throw your back Might out. Might throw the back out. Yeah. Now, but that whole fight scene. And I, actually, dating back to something you already said, like, they made the fight scenes work. So the combat scene in the nightclub, like, didn't feel hokey or, or forced. Even while it had a choreographed dance moment <laughs> where the turtles stop and start doing the ninja, you know, rap dance. <laughs> yeah, but it just it just all worked, you know, and I I think that also shows a lot to how big the film was. I know we were talking about some people kind of getting off the project, but like Vanilla Ice was one of the biggest names in music in the early 90s. So just the fact that he was in this film, I think, also kind of showed a lot of the two like kind of crossing over pop culture there oh yeah like and, and that's just like a, a great uh you know reach out to him a fun fact about ninja rap is i guess he wrote it in 30 minutes <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah like he has gone on record saying he wrote the song in a hotel room using just like an old drum machine wow it said maybe took him about 30 minutes to write it and the rest they completed in the studio that's catchy as hell, man, you know? Yeah, yeah. Got good lyrics. I'm not going to go into them even though I could. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, yeah, it just, all the right spots, man. It, it hit all the right spots, all the right notes. I am I was a little upset with myself that it has been so long since I rewatched this this movie and inspired me to want to go rewatch the first one because I think I'd, I'm going to appreciate the first one a lot more. Yeah, I thought about it, didn't have the time, but there was a part of me that was like, I kind of want to hit the trilogy. Yeah. And and even the third one, you know, like, even just because it yeah. has been so long. So uh, I'm with you there. This was a ton of fun. Really happy that we kind of took the moment to stop and revisit this because, you know, it, it's just such a cherished piece, but it's lost in time almost in a way, you know, Oh yeah. growing up and, and everything else comes out and changes. So it was a great way to circle back there. Absolutely. Just go back and, and hit all the nostalgic feels and really feel like a kid again. And, you know, life as an adult can get stressful and bog you down. And highly recommend going back, rewatching it, putting yourself in, putting yourself in your six, six year old PJs and sitting on the couch, you know, sitting cross legged on the couch and just watching a good old Turtles movie catching all the fun little jokes and the combat scenes and seeing Shroop Super Shredder again and him all beefed up Kevin Nash under the mask. Speaking of which, just one last thing is I did notice, I never thought about this before, but when Super Shredder becomes Super Shredder, it kind of cracked me up because it it not, it not only supersized his body, yeah. which is pretty much like what we had seen with everything else with the use was like, you know, organic matter 
right. supersized, yeah. <laughs> but it supersizes his metal, his helmet, his, his armor, helmet. his his whole suit, everything, you know? Everything, yeah, yeah. Uh, suddenly, his, yeah, his armor, his helmet, all of it. That's the ooze is crazy, man. You don't know what it's going to do. You don't know what, the mutagen. It's true. It's true. It, it can affect all sorts of properties. Well, no, it didn't break a ton of records or is even scored that highly on Rotten Tomatoes, but that doesn't mean that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 doesn't hold a special place in our geek hearts. Hit us up on social media to let us know what you think of Ninja Turtles 2, as well as any other classic geek movies, video games, or others that you'd like to have us break down. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this discussion, go ahead and smash the subscribe button so you never miss a chapter of Geek Catch-Up, and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Also, be sure to follow GK on social media. You can find links to all of our accounts on the show notes below and on our website, geekcatchuppodcast.com. There's even links to our merch store and Patreon if you'd like to support the show. But as always, remember to stay saucy, you nerds.